Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, mantenganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, over the last little while, we've heard some interesting topics and thoughts about Epcot and what's going to be changing. So I thought today I'd go back and talk about a little bit about Epcot's history and think about its future. And to do that, I brought along a guest. His name is uh, Scott Schindeldecker, and uh, he runs the EpcotManifesto.com website. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. You know, good to talk Epcot. Uh, I think you and I, we talked a little bit, I think we have a similar sort of viewpoint of Epcot and how it's kind of evolved over time and kind of interesting to talk about where it is and where it was and where it might be going. Absolutely. It's it's such a important theme park in my mind. It's something that's always been um, it's been more than just a theme park for most of its life. And and I think that that was such an interesting topic, uh, such an interesting way that they decided to to attack Walt's original vision that um, I've always been been really attached to that park. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And that, that's kind of the way I felt about it, too. So let's just take a quick trip back in history here. Walt Disney obviously had in mind something that he wanted to do that was sort of a community of tomorrow where people would live, work, and play. And it would be a, a, a group of nations that would be together there as well. Here is Walt Disney. Welcome to a little bit of Florida here in California. This is where the early planning is taking place for our so-called uh, Disney World Project. Now, the purpose of this film is to bring you up to date about some of the plans for Disney World. But before I go into any of the details, I want to say just a word about the site of our Florida project. As you can see on this map, we have a perfect location in Florida, almost in the very center of the state. In fact, we selected this site because it's so easy for tourists and Florida residents to get here by automobile. Now, in larger scale on this map, our Florida land is located partly in Orange County and Osceola County, between the cities of Orlando and Kissimmee. And the important thing is that the Disney World is located just a few miles from the crossing point of Interstate 4 and Sunshine State Parkway. Florida's major highways carrying motors east and west and north and south to the center of the state. The sketches and plans you will see today are simply a starting point. Our first overall thinking about Disney World. Everything in this room may change time and time again as we move ahead. But the basic philosophy of what we're planning for Disney World is going to remain very much as it is right now. We know what our goals are. We know what we hope to accomplish. And believe me, it's the most exciting and challenging assignment we've ever tackled at Walt Disney Productions. Today, I want to share with you some of our ideas for Disney World. Now, the prologue to this film told you some of the philosophy 
that made Disneyland in California what it is today. Of course, there will be another amusement theme park in Florida, similar to the one in California. We're now developing a master plan that encompasses the theme park and all the facilities around it that will serve the tourists. Hotels, motels, and a variety of recreation activities. In fact, just this little area alone is five times the size of Disneyland in California. But as you can see on this master plan, the theme park and all the other tourist facilities fill just one small area of our enormous Florida project. According to this scale, I am six miles tall. Now that's 12 miles from here up to here, and the whole area encompasses 27,400 acres. That is 43 square miles, twice the size of the island of Manhattan. Now the area we propose to develop is between the Reedy Creek Swamp and the Bonnet Creek Swamp. So one thing we don't need is a fence to protect us from trespassing. Here in Florida, we have something special we never enjoyed at Disneyland, the blessing of size. There's enough land here to hold all the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. Right now, our plans include an airport of the future down here in Osceola County, an entrance complex where all visitors will enter Disney World, an industrial park area covering about 1,000 acres, and of course, the theme park area way up here. And all these varied activities around the Disney World will be tied together by a high-speed rapid transit system running almost the full length of the property. But the most exciting, the far the most important part of our Florida project, in fact, the heart of everything we'll be doing in Disney World will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. We call it EPCOT, spelled E-P-C-O-T. Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. Here it is in larger scale. EPCOT will take its cue from the new ideas and new technologies that are now emerging from the creative centers of American industry. It will be a community of tomorrow that will never be completed, but will always be introducing and testing and demonstrating new materials and new systems. And EPCOT will always be a showcase to the world for the ingenuity and imagination of American free enterprise. I don't believe there's a challenge anywhere in the world that's more important to people everywhere than finding solutions to the problems of our cities. But where do we begin? How do we start answering this great challenge? Well, we're convinced we must start with the public need. And the need is not just for curing the old ills of old cities. We think the need is for starting from scratch on virgin land and building a special kind of new community. So that's what Epcot is, an experimental prototype community that will always be in a state of becoming. It will never cease to be a living blueprint of the future where people actually live a life they can't find anywhere else in the world. Everything in Epcot will be dedicated to the happiness of the people who will live, work, and play here, and those who come here from all around the world to visit our living showcase. We don't presume to know all the answers. In fact, we're counting on the cooperation of American industry to provide their very best thinking during the planning and the creation of our experimental prototype community of tomorrow. 
And most important of all, when Epcot has become a reality and we find the need for technologies that don't even exist today, it's our hope that Epcot will stimulate American industry to develop new solutions that will meet the needs of people expressed right here in this experimental community. Well, that's our basic philosophy for Epcot. Clearly, I don't think anyone beyond Walt had any clue how to go about doing something like that. Even if Walt, I don't know how much Walt actually knew how to go about doing something like that, yeah. but I think, you know, being Walt, he would have figured it out on him as he did it, right? No, absolutely. And that, that was the interesting thing, because, you know, he, he had this idea, you know, you would live there for the period of time you were working there and contributing to society, and then after that, you would have to go. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and what a... And that industry would be there working side by side with the people and with each other, so you'd have your General Motors working next door to General Electric, and, and they would be collaborating on, you know, how to make this city uh, a more, you know, how to move it Yeah, what, a, what an intriguing idea. And I, like you said, if anyone could have done it, it probably would have been Walt. He would have found a way um, right. between his, his ambition, his charisma, and you know, the fact that he could always find a way to get funding. Um, he, he probably would have made it work. And the timing was certainly right. He, you, know, you think about what Tomorrowland was in Disneyland, and you think, wow, he had this idea to kind of extend out what Tomorrowland was to a large degree, to think about the future and start to innovate on some ideas as a part of that. Um, so, you know, he had, the, he had the foresight, he had the idea, and unfortunately he died before it ever came to any sort of fruition. Yeah, it was very, very soon after his announcement, I think, that he passed away. Yeah, I think the, um, the recording they did uh, was actually the, one of the last recordings he ever made, and he went into the hospital yeah. like a week or two later. Um, Absolutely. So that was pretty much it. And, you know, Disney used that to their advantage to get all the... Um, all the things they needed from the state government to uh, to have all the flexibility they needed uh, to be able to build whatever they wanted. So that was useful for them in that sense as a company. But the, the leadership wasn't there to kind of take it to that next level. So, you know, along comes Card Walker, who's who's been a right-hand man to Walt for a long time. And Card had a, some clever ideas of his own, but he wasn't quite the visionary. Right. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's a tall order for anybody that you know, even Walt Disney, that's a tall order for him, but how do you take something that was obviously very dear to Walt's heart, um, but, you know, needs to fit into what Walt Disney World had kind of become by the mid-70s when they started kind of tossing around the Epcot idea again. You know, how do you take that, that city, that, how does the city fit into a resort theme park uh, you know, hotels and golfs and things. And, and uh, you know, the, there was an interesting challenge that I think, given what they what they had to work with at the time, um, the, the small bit of ideas that Walt had had, I think they did a, a very good job of kind of turning it from, okay, it's not going to be a city where people live, but let's kind of expand on, on the concept and also make it a place that will be fun for the, the resort guests to come and and kind of explore and, and feel the same kind of thing that Walt was trying to get at, which is experimental prototype community of tomorrow. Right. And, you know, the interesting side note here is that when um, Disney decided to go ahead with the uh, Walt Disney World uh, project, or the uh, future project as it was called in, in its colloquial phrase, um, 
one of the things that they had chosen was to go ahead and create a theme park that was very much like Disneyland, put it on the northern edge of the park so that that would be the moneymaker that they could use to uh, create some of their, do their other creations. So they'd have some income coming in. And so uh, Card went ahead and, uh, you know, greenlit. I, I know Walt had already, you know, had already done some of the preliminary work because he'd already been out to the Disney World property. Um, so they, you know, they went ahead and just greenlit the rest of the project to build up the Magic Kingdom and some of the resort hotels. But they scaled back the number of things they were going to do there. Um, and we're focused on, you know, what could we do today to just start, get us that income and start things going so we can figure out what we're going to do tomorrow. And ultimately they got to that point where it was, you know, now it's, you know, the Disney World opened in 1971 and it's a few years later and they're still thinking about this idea for the experimental prototype uh, community of tomorrow. And yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's something that was, uh, you know, a part of what Walt had kind of told the public that was going to be part of this Florida project that they were working on, right? He went mm -hmm. on to his, his uh, what was it, World of Disney on, on the, the networks and kind of sold the idea to the masses that, you know, this was part of what was going to be the core of the Florida project. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that they had some degree of, um, you know, we need, to, we need to follow up on what Walt had promised. Right. Right. So, you know, ultimately they, they did. And I know there was a lot of a lot of contention among the Imagineers and the people working for Wet Enterprises about what the whole Epcot project would be, what that would become. You know, it was the half the group that said, you know, we should do something that's the extension of Tomorrowland and really has that future vision in mind. And there was the half that said, hey, it should be the World Showcase. And from the... From the tales that you hear, you know, Marty Scalar tells the story about how they had the two designs together, and, and he just said, let's just push these two together and see what happens. And, and, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, in some respects, I think that, um, you know, the idea of kind of the World's Fair um, had to have played heavily on what ended up being developed, right? Because it had, if you look back at the World's Fairs of, of the past, they had both of those those kind of aspects, right? You had right. the, the industry and showing of the new technology, right? This is where the Otis Elevator Company is showing their things, and you know, you're, you're seeing light bulbs, and you're seeing all kinds of technological advancements, but they also had these, these whole sections that were about showing different parts of the world to the point where you know, they're bringing in tribes of people from <laughs> Africa and from, uh, you know, the, the South Pacific to, to live on the, the grounds for the length of the, the, um, the World's Fair. Um, so I think the World's Fair aspect of it, I think probably when they took those two ideas and pushed them together, they said, oh, look, this is just like a World's Fair. Yes, Exactly. And um, there was the uh, International Chamber of Commerce that happened in 1970. I want to say it was 78 in um, in Walt Disney World that uh, Jimmy Carter was the uh, gave the keynote speech at. And there was a lot of discussion about at that time that Card Walker was going to give a presentation about what Epcot was going to be because there was a lot of international uh, diplomats there who he helped he thought could help make introductions so they could get sponsors and start to build on the idea. And it turned out that that was the case, and they did they did get some sponsorships out of that I, that concept. And he pitched the whole idea, and you know, really interesting kind of side note there that this just kind of worked out. It was like the dream thing that happened um, because they actually got some money. You know, Epcot became an expensive proposition. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. I mean, just just the thought of of turning this from a one part uh, idea into a multi part idea is is kind of taking this whole concept of what a 
what a theme park resort you, you know can be. It changes changes the game. Every other theme park or every other amusement park in the world at that time, I believe, you know, they were single single parks. Mm-hmm. So the idea of, of having this giant resort space and having more than one park to go to, you're, you're pulling away visitors from one park to go to another park now. Right. Right, that had never happened before. You've never seen that um, in the same space. Right. Um, competing with yourself, essentially, which is kind of an odd thing yeah, to do. Yeah, kind of. I'm Card Walker, president of Walt Disney Productions, and I'd like to answer a question that's been asked many times about Epcot. Why is Disney getting into so many things that are apparently unrelated to the entertainment industry? What can Disney possibly contribute? Epcot will be a community of ideas. A public forum for information transfer about emerging new technologies, prototype systems, and promising new concepts. Four major objectives were established in order to bring this unique community to reality. First, Epcot will be a showcase for prototype concepts. Special legislation passed by the state of Florida in 1967 helped to establish the Epcot Building Code, considered one of the most advanced in the nation to govern planning, design, and construction. This far-reaching code has enabled innovative building materials and systems to be applied from the very beginning, thus laying a strong foundation for Epcot as a showcase for prototype concepts. Even from the outside, the Energy Pavilion will be a strong visual statement as it generates power via its own solar energy systems. Here, the formation of fossil fuel energy will be portrayed. The Transportation Pavilion will show how man has progressed through time in direct relation to his ability to move from one location to another. Visitors will see man's earliest and most humble designs grow and change as he reaches out to explore the world around him. They'll be treated to simulated trips aboard some of today's modes of transportation and have a glimpse at future transportation systems. guests sail through moments of peril and triumph with the great explorers who charted the seas for civilization. In another adventure, Poseidon the Sea Lord will challenge visitors to journey through the ocean depths and space, where a vast interstellar space vehicle will transport passengers to the outer frontiers of the universe. Through these future world pavilions, millions of visitors will learn firsthand about what's being done in creative centers around the world. Another key element of information transfer will be Future World's Communicore. As its name suggests, this global marketplace of new ideas will be the communications core of Epcot. To make today's dreams for Epcot, tomorrow's reality for everyone. Here, you'll reach for new horizons. A spectacular odyssey into the future, where you'll discover the envisioned technologies of the 21st century and beyond. Here you'll visit a city of tomorrow, desert farm, space colony, and undersea city. The Disney company did go ahead and create it. They got enough money to uh, to create it. I know they put themselves in, in uh, incredible debt to do it, but they were able to create this amazing park. And um, my memory of it, you know, going there, I was about 13 when it opened, and I thought it was one of the most astounding places I'd ever seen. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, it, was, it was just an incredible place. Uh, it, between seeing vistas of countries that we had never imagined being able to see, like China, for example, that was, you know, the, for, right. the forbidden country. You couldn't right. go there. Um, but yet here's yeah, this movie. Absolutely. 
showing behind the walls. And it's just, it was incredible. Um, and then, you know, you had the future world part that really kind of took that idea of innovation and showing you the technology of today and kind of doing some interesting things and cleverly, you know, it was entertaining and enlightening that it followed the Walt yeah. vision that way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can definitely, you know, I, you can ask my friends, I can talk for days about that whole idea of what future world added to that park and what it, what it was different from, um, you know, what other parks had done at the time, um, that, that whole idea of not just, it was not just education, it was not just entertainment, um, you know, it was this whole group of, of education and entertainment and inspiration, I think, above all, is trying to, to inspire everybody, inspire us all to kind of work together to make this, this dream of the future come to Yeah, you know, I can remember standing in Communicore for like hours at a time. My parents going, "Come on, oh, yeah. you know," but just looking at the I, stuff they had there. <laughs> I, could, I, I could have moved in to Future World, I think, as a child, and and been perfectly fine. And just the family can come visit every once in a while. I'm just gonna live, <laughs> you know, somewhere. I'll, I'll change pavilions every once in a while for a change of scenery. Um, I probably would have made my home base in Sea Castle Resort on Horizons, um, lived down with the seals and stuff, and, and been fine, and they just come and visit every once in a while, and I would have been happy. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, I, I could see that. I could probably could have done that. We would have been neighbors. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it would have been interesting, you know, but the, the concept was certainly there, and he had something that was, the company had something that was just so far beyond what anybody had done to that point. Um, it was, sure. It was so unique and so different, and it was it was absolutely fascinating. I mean, even standing there and watching the silly Astuter computer um, and the, the song that went along with that, you know, mm-hmm. you got to see a glimpse behind the scenes of what it took to run all of the attractions and shows that go on at, at the resort. And yeah, I mean, if you go if you go back and you read um, one of the books that I've I've read that I really really enjoy, um, I think it was called Building a Better Mouse, and it was written by. Um, a few of the engineers that were a part of building the park, and specifically, uh, most of them were uh, involved in building the American Adventure uh, Pavilion and attraction. And the the amount of um, insane detail that had to go into the, the control system to make that that work, and with the short amount of time that they had to build it. Mm-hmm. That, that's a great point because that's exactly what it comes down to, the amount of time they had and the, uh, the amount of resources that they had available to them because with that time being short, they had to just create something, you know, come up with something Absolutely. clever. Um, they couldn't go, you know, couldn't go test something or try something out. It just was like, we're going to do this and that's it. And Yeah, we, we said we're going to open on this date and um, we're going to open on that date. Yep. So you guys better get this done. <laughs> exactly. 
And now, it is my pleasure to introduce to you our Chairman of the Board and Chief Executive Officer, Card Walker. Well, I think this is probably by far the most exciting day in my whole career with this wonderful company, Walt Disney Productions. In March, I'll have been here 45 years and I've seen a lot of things happen, but I think this is in first place in my mind and in my heart. Good morning, Governor Graham, Bill Ellinghouse, all our distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, and particularly the boys and girls. We're naturally delighted to see you all here this morning. This is a very special project for our company and one we're very proud of and one that I think is going to develop tremendous word of mouth because it's an exciting show. We broke ground on this exact site here, right here where I'm standing, three years ago today at 9 a.m. in the morning. And I promised then that our doors would open this morning as scheduled at 8.58, and I think we missed it by two minutes, didn't we, Dick? And that accomplishment, I think, is an enormous tribute to American ingenuity, productivity, and technology. It is another demonstration of what can be done, I think, in America today with free enterprise. Epcot Center represents the culmination of more than 25 million hours of effort by talented artists, designers, engineers, and technicians with hundreds of advisors and thousands of construction workers, all propelled by the power and the force of an idea of one wonderful man, Walt Disney. Epcot Center celebrates human achievements and innovation born from imagination. It is a showplace dedicated to entertain, we hope, with a purpose. Our goals for Epcot Center are quite clear. We want to first entertain, then inform and inspire all who come here, and above all, to instill in our guests a new sense of belief and pride in mankind's ability to shape a world that offers real hope to people everywhere in the world. Thank you. It's an incredible thing when you think about it, because they had an amazing idea. They were able to come up with something that was, you know, as close as I think they could have gotten to Walt's vision, given the time and everything else that was going on. Uh, and, you know, it really, it really did set a new standard. And it was terrific, and it was a wonderful park. And for the first almost 30 years it was open, it didn't really change much. I, I know there were some changes to Communicore. It became interventions, and there were some other things that came in and you know, a couple of pavilions were added, both in the World Showcase and over in um, in, in the uh, uh, Future World. But yeah. for the most part, it didn't change a whole lot. Uh, the concept yeah, is the same. Was a, there yep. was a long period of kind of stagnation that happened. Um, you know, in the early park, at the very least, you could say that they, they were, <laughs> because they had to rush so quickly, there were still pavilions opening every few years because... You know, Horizons wasn't ready to go by the time that the park opened, so that opens a year later. And the Living Seas comes a few years later. Um, you know, the Space Pavilion is was talked about before the park opened, but that took obviously years, and it took Horizons going away to happen. Um, Wonders of Life added years later. But then, you know, there's this whole period of time where they kind of just rested on their laurels and... and um, you know, if you look at the whole resort as a whole, it's not like the, the Disney company was sitting and doing nothing, because at that time they're developing MGM Studios and they're developing 
done that that aspect is that Epcot kind of it's our number two theme park. People are coming to it, and we can kind of just let it be as it is. Uh, maybe make some little tiny changes here or there, and uh, focus on building these other theme parks to continue to expand our our resort to be this big destination um, resort. Right, and that that's what made things kind of interesting here for for the current time is that we kind of led up to something that's you know now you look at Communicore Communicore that became Interventions kind of stagnated. No, they never really put any investment into it. Things have come and gone. Now it's a character meeting location. Great. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then you've got... Uh, yeah, PS2 is hooked up right. still, maybe. I don't know. Some, yeah, some, they were there for the longest time. Some things like that. And you've got, you know, then you look at the the World Showcase pavilions, and, you know, they're still more or less look like they did when they opened, you know, in 1982. Mm-hmm. The movies yeah, are the same. Yeah, they had those expansion yeah. slots mm-hmm. ready to go to add different, uh, different countries at later dates. And, you know, we did get Norway um, for a while. And... <laughs> Yeah, and that's the, so. It's kind of kind of strange because now you look at it and you go, "Wow, these these movies are all dated, and the things that are in there feel a little stale." And it's a nice vista into the countries as they were in 1982, um, and maybe to a degree what they look like now. But it's not it's not it, it with the world becoming smaller and having the internet and having this ability to go and look at using your Google glasses or your your 3D uh, visioning, being able to see um, the Eiffel Tower. There's really nothing, you know. There's nothing you can do to to make that better, right? You, you feel like you're there with your with your 3D visuals, and why would you need to go to Epcot to see the Eiffel Tower and see the city of Paris? Um, sure, absolutely. That's a great point. You know, I, the the ability to see pictures and you know really well done pictures of of these different countries, and even the ability and affordableness to travel yes. to these countries. Yeah. Um, you know, has has made that a little bit less of a um, unique experience. I mean, there was a stretch of time, and it's changed a little bit now, but you could kind of just go to Las Vegas and almost get what you had at Epcot, because, you know, yeah. you had Paris and New York and all these other things, and right. they were, you know, the same kind of facades and facsimiles of the Eiffel Tower and stuff, mm-hmm. and it wasn't you know, kind of new and unique anymore. Yep, and, you know, more museums opened up that had hands-on exhibits that felt more like what Future World was, uh, where you could do some of those things, and you could feel like you're doing that. So, you know, Epcot kind of felt stale to a large degree. Yeah, And you know, absolutely. And I don't think that, um, you know, I think that in some respects, the, the original attractions in concept you know, had a timeless quality to them. Um, but just because the, the concept is timeless, I think, um, doesn't mean that it doesn't need to be updated and refreshed and, and given some love from time to time, which I think they kind of looked at it and said, oh, these things are, are timeless, classic, and we don't need to worry about them too much. Let's go do other things. Let's, right. let's build MGM Studios. Right. So instead, what they did was start to create this this sort of mishmash of oddities among the among the park. So, for example, yes. back in you know back in the day, they originally said there's not going to be any characters in Epcot because we want it to be the World Showcase, and you know that was that was the way they set it up. And then slowly, you started to see characters coming in, which is okay, and they're characters that are relevant to the countries. I can get that, you know, that's fine. I have I was looking and, and I don't remember what year they are. I have to find my my little. I have pictures over here, but I think I've got pictures of 
of me meeting, you know, like futuristic Mickey and Minnie in about 1987 or 88. Yeah. Oh, here it is. Um, 86. Okay. So it wasn't very long until the characters, you know, started kind of making their way in. Mm-hmm. Right? They said that there weren't going to be characters, but they didn't really hold true to that too often, right? No. Back before they were trying to do the kind of character integration in World Showcase where, um, you know, Alice is in the UK and, and saying, um, you know, the characters started making their way in really early on. I mean, that's five years after the park opened wow. right there, but I've got, uh, you know, Minnie in a, a shiny dress with a big rainbow across the front, and it's all futuristic looking, at least for 1986. Um, so, you know, the characters, they, they didn't hold church for, for very long. Right. And in my mind, that's okay. I, 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 I got a long, you know, hard belief, and we can get into this a little bit later if we're going to maybe talk about the future of Epcot, but... I don't care what characters are where, as long as they're well integrated and, and you know, tell the kind of story that we want to be told here. Perfect. Use whatever characters you want. Fair enough, it's yeah. It's not that, that big off of, you know, it's not a big departure off of what um, originally was there. You know, we, Figment is a character. It yep. was created for Epcot, but, I mean, she is uh. big of a character as as Mickey or Minnie is, maybe for those of us that are Epcot nutsos like I am. No, that's that's a great point. I hadn't hadn't really considered it that way. You're you're absolutely right. It's you know it's about the um the, the characters themselves are fine. I I think it becomes this sort of. Uh, the problem I have is like now where they have in um, interventions where they've taken over a character spot. And they're using that space yeah. just for character meets. And it's like, well, wait, what What about actually having something that's innovative or interesting? There could be something there. That, that I think the problem with characters, how they've been incorporated in the past, you know, 10, 15 years, is um, almost more, more that the, the character is the whole story, not the character is there in support of a story. You know, a good example of that would be the seas with Nemo and friends, right? If we yes. if we look back at what the Living Seas was when it was um, first uh, opened, you know, you were you were going, uh, you know, it was all about undersea exploration. It was about you know man's history in exploring the oceans, and you were going on this trip, and you were going to a sea base, you know, a working scientific sea base. Um, and, and that told one story and it still had that story of it was inclusive, you know, we were being invited to be a part of this future where we're, we have scientific sea bases and, and things. Yes. Um, and you know, when they went to, to put in Nemo, um, all of that kind of disappeared, right? They just said, oh, it's the ocean and here's Nemo. And all we have to do is tell a Nemo story um, in some respects, and that's great. And then there's fish at the end, and Nemo were fish, so fish. Um, you know, that, that kind of serving, you know, using a character to, to help enhance a central tenant of the pavilion um, 
was kind of given way and it was just the character is the whole thing. You know, in some respects you could you could kind of say the same thing with, with the Frozen attraction. Yes. You know, it, if, if the Frozen characters were taking us on an exploration of Norway, then that would have, you know, less kind of complaints than just here is the story of Frozen. Exactly, and that's and that was the second part of where I was what I was going to say. You you hit right on it uh, that you have the seas with Nemo and friends that kind of took away from what the seas was all about. You know, learning about the oceans and learning about how we interact with the seas. We kind of lost that, and that's kind of a shame because I thought the the show that they did there, the movie they had, and the ride, and the way you went to see Base Alpha, I thought that was very clever and a good way to kind of introduce you to the ocean and again educate and entertain uh, to kind of get you in, familiar with it. And right, you know, I I think that the um, the concept of you're going to go visit this this working sea base with with scientists and they're exploring and they're you know learning all these kind of things about the ocean that we don't know, you know the the old line that we've spent more time on the surface of the moon than we have in the depths of the ocean. You know, it's it's amazing to to think about that fact that. Um, I, I, it may still even be true, I'm not sure, but, um, you know, back then, most definitely, we had these oceans, and they're right next to us, and we knew less about them than we did the moon that was a much harder challenge to get to. Yes. And so, that idea that of, of kind of exploring and understanding the world around us, and kind of bringing us along for the ride, right, including us, we welcome you to join us on, you know, at Sea Base Alpha. Um, and I think part of what I feel is that we've lost these days is that inclusiveness on in a lot of the attractions. Um, and I think that's a that's one of my my biggest probably complaints on a lot of the, the updated um, the updates that they've made is, is kind of you're, you're almost you're witnessing but you're not being brought with. Right, you see it, yeah, you're not a part of it anymore. Um, right. You're, you're I just... mean, we're, we're, the Nemo ride we're riding through, we're just kind of seeing a, a shortcut version of the, the movie, um, but we don't even have to worry about Nemo being lost because he's still there, we see him too. Um, it's just, dummy old Marlin doesn't know. Um, and then we're dumped off, and then there's some fish. I don't even know if they consider that, you know, the end part anything more than just a, here's an aquarium. And, you know, I, there are many wonderful aquariums in the United States these days that are far and away um, better than what that aquarium is at the Living Seas. And that's not to say that the Living Seas was anything you know, was a problem, it's, it's that it wasn't the point of the aquarium at the Living Seas. The aquarium at the Living Seas was there to support the story of being an undersea scientific exploration base and not a place to go see fish. Right, right. And you, uh, I think that's, I think that's a really critical point. Is that it feels like it's kind of lost its way. You can still go into the Living Seas, and there's some exhibits on the second floor that are pretty good. They're not great, but they're pretty yeah. good. And some people there yeah, are knowledgeable. I mean, yeah. Standard aquarium fair, right. which is fine. I love an aquarium. I absolutely 
probably do. Um, but they're kind of standard aquarium fare for the most part. And so it feels like, and so it feels like it's missing something. Um, and then you, you mentioned earlier the um, the frozen attraction, and mm-hmm. that's the one that kind of got caught caught with me. I, you know, I saw them doing that, and I'm like, "You're gonna make Norway into Arendelle? What happened there exactly?" And right. you know, I heard about it, and I was really kind of shaking my head, doing the "What are they doing?" And I got to tell you, I rode the attraction, and I enjoyed the attraction. It was very cute, very clever. They did a very nice job, but. It doesn't belong there. It just doesn't belong in Norway. Um, I think if it were in the Magic Kingdom or somewhere else, it would be a tremendous attraction. I'd love it. Or if they twisted it in some way to make it more about Norway instead of about the story of the uh, the the two sisters in two. But it it just a lot of these things could easily be done with you know if if there was a pre-show area that just said you know talked about the the stories and the history and the culture and the tradition of Norway. And and the, the attraction was basically exploring the previous mythology, kind of like what Maelstrom did, right, mm-hmm. with the trolls and things like that. Is We're exploring, um, you know, some of the traditional histories of Norway and the mythologies that make up, you know, part of its, its personality, its people. You know, that could still be done, right. but, you know, it, it doesn't seem like that's the route they took. They just said, oh, frozen, it's big, let's put it here, and be done with it. Right. And it, it, it doesn't matter how good the attraction is. If you could make the world's most mind-blowing Star Wars attraction ever, and if you put it in the middle of Frontierland, it doesn't work. Something <laughs> is taken away from it. Because now you've taken away from Frontierland, and you've kind of taken away that, that, you know, suspension of disbelief in, I'm, you know, in the Star Wars universe, and going to go on here. And I, you know, from the pictures that we see of what Star Wars land is going to be, it's, you know, it looks fantastic. It looks like it's going to transport you to that other place. Yes. You know, it doesn't matter in my mind how good the Frozen attraction is, the fact that it kind of just is placed there with the very, very tenuous ties, um, subtracts from both the attraction and from the world showcase. I agree with you. And I, that's the that's kind of the sad part, the, the piece that's missing to me, that it just feels like there's something that, that Disney didn't do. They just thought about it. And I don't mean to, I don't mean to come across as saying that it's only about this, but it feels like it's just about the money, right? It, it's something that's very popular. Let's get it out there. Let's get the kids to come. Absolutely, and you know, Disney is. I'm reminded of this all the time. Disney is a business. Um, they're there to, you know, turn a profit. And Frozen was very, very, very popular. Yep. Um, and you know, in some respects, there were ties. It did it, it fit. I mean, it was, in, you know, an inspiration for Frozen, sure. the Norway and Norwegian culture. It, it could. I feel like it could have. Um, with some very minor changes or some very um, minor setup worked well, but it does seem like they've just kind of taken the Norway pavilion and wadded it up and thrown it away and said, okay, well, it's there now. It does kind of feel like that to a degree, yes. Which is, you know, which is kind of, kind of the way things have worked out. And so now, 
kind of bringing us to current time, you know, given everything that's that's kind of there, that you have the staleness, you have some of the things that they've changed, there's an announcement that Epcot's going to go through some significant changes. And that's where you start to wonder what Disney has in mind there. Is it going to be Frozen-type things, or is it going to be an actual expansion of sort of the Epcot concept? And my sense is it's probably not going to be the Epcot concept, though I'd like it to be. Yes, I've, I've gone back and forth over that on my mind because I, I, you know, I've read and reread kind of, I wasn't at the D23 event, but, you know, I've read the, the different reports of, um, of what was said. I think it was Bob Chapek, right? That, I think that so, kind yeah. of came out and announced the, the reinvention of Epcot or however they, they kind of put it. But he said, um, you know, it's going to be more Disney, more, um, more Disney, it's going to be timeless and relevant and family-friendly and hold true to the original vision of Epcot. And, you know, I've parsed that. In fact, I, I was trying to, I was playing around with writing a little bit about this yesterday for my blog, is kind of parsing that one sentence. It's probably one of the things I, I do well, is take one little sentence and then expand on it like insane people do. Um, but, you know, trying to parse that. What does that mean? More Disney, more timeless, more more relevant, and original vision. And the, I, I don't know what to expect. I, 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 too, feel, you know, kind of like what you, you felt, that um, that original vision, kind of the original concept of Epcot, is probably not what they planned. Um, I would like to think that it's not. I would, I would love to hope that, you know, somebody, uh, somebody in control there would be standing over them and saying, think about this and think about what the park was and what people loved about the park that was, and just make sure you, you fit this in. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. You know, maybe they will. I, I would like to hope. Yeah, no, I would too. And, you know, I know you've I know you've been in contact with the, you know, the various people at Disney Parks. You've sent letters and you've you've gotten pleasant responses back and you know things like that, sure. and that's great. I mean, you know, I'm glad I'm glad you're doing that. I you know I'm not the kind of person who does that. Maybe I should because you know I should get my opinion out there too. Um, I, I haven't been for for many years. You know, this this passion and kind of frustration with Epcot isn't something that's new. It's it's been around and bubbling for for quite a few years now. Um, and it took until this year for me to, to kind of say, you know, I, I can write in forums, I can write on my own website, but I'm not writing to the people that actually are in charge. And if, you know, I, I have no hopes that my letter is going to make a difference, but I realize that, you know, if I'm writing and if other people are writing and enough other people write, maybe, maybe there's somebody that can just... You know, if if someone just is in the middle of an imagineering session and they're coming up with a concept and just in the back of their head they're like, I don't know, does this fit? Then you know that letter might have been worth it. Yeah, no, that's a great. And like you said, I, I got very I got very you know kind uh, conversations from the guest relations people. Um, had a really fun one with with a woman who was had worked at. Epcot from uh, from its opening day, um, she she told some story about uh, she wouldn't go into specifics, but there was something about 
running around in Horizons after the park had closed that made me really jealous. <laughs> That's funny, you know, because there are there were some there are some stories like that. Um, oh sure. You know, and I, as a one-time cast member, I can remember doing some things after park closed that you know, I won't talk about. But you know, they were fun. <laughs> and I know some people who were not cast members who were doing some things in the parks after they closed mm, that sure they shouldn't have been doing. Yeah. You know, and some people knew about it and kind of let it go, and some people didn't know about it. And it, it's interesting yeah. because you know, I, I I've talked to Hoot Gibson, the guy who runs the Horizons. Um, it's uh, the What's it called? Uh, Mesa Verde Times. It's the Horizons uh, tribute, and he and his he and his friend, friend Chief got off the ride, and they went around and they documented thoroughly everything about the ride before it closed. They knew it was going to close. Yeah. They, you know, they did what they needed to do. And while I would never encourage that kind of behavior, I'm kind of glad they did because they really captured something that really, you know, was a was a passion of mine. That was a, one of my favorite attractions, and Absolutely. so they they remembered it in a way, or they have memories of it in a way that I don't, and they shared that with us, and I think that was really amazing. Um, right. You know that we have this ability to do that, so it kind of fits in with the storyline there. That things happen, and sometimes they're you know for the better. Um, you know, it, right. it just works out. And as you look at it, you go, "Wow, you know, Disney puts so much into the thought process behind, say, Horizons or any of the other attractions." You look at the level of detail that's at the various World Showcase pavilions. You know, the amount of work they did to try and recreate something that actually exists in the real world, or or reimagine yeah. it in some way. And they put so much detail into it. It's fascinating and amazing. And, you know, here we are. We're That's at a point. Why today we can still go to the same World Showcase attraction that we visited 30-plus years ago and still, you know, be in some way transported. Right? We, we still know we're in the middle of Florida. It's too hot and muggy to be in <laughs> Paris. You know? But, but we're still in some respects transported to that, that other country because of that care and that detail that was put in Exactly. And that's, you know, that's the piece that, that really still capture, captures me and captivates me. Until recently, Epcot was my second favorite of the, of the Disney parks. Um, Animal Kingdom recently moved past it just because of the nature of Animal Kingdom. And who knows, with Star Wars Land, uh, you know, the studios may move past that. But for now, you know, I look at Epcot and I go, wow, it could become number two again if they do some things that would be pretty cool. And Absolutely. I mean, it could be... It, eh. You know, it could become number one again. Yeah. Now it's, oh, absolutely, that yeah. That would be a challenge, but, you know, it, it could be there. I mean, there was the longest period of time in my life where, where I would, I could have gone on a trip there, spent a week at Epcot, and not seen any other parks and walked away fully, you know, completely satisfied. Yeah. <laughs> um, True, I, yeah. You know, I'm not at that place today. I have kids. They would kill me. Um, and really, there's not, I think, a whole lot you could do for a week at Epcot these days. Uh, my last few trips have been less than a full day there. Um, you know, part of that is children, and, and part of that is definitely my lack of enthusiasm. Um, but, but you know, I feel like that ability to, to be the, the part it's still there. It would be hard for it to overtake, like, Magic Kingdom in terms of the overall population. Oh, yeah. Right? That's always going to be number one. I tend to I, I, I tend to have Animal Kingdom up quite to the top uh, myself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as my kids have, have grown and stuff, Magic Kingdom is hard to take off just because of the, the oh, joy yeah. that that gives them. Yes. Um, but Thank I think you. in terms of what that park does... Um, I'm more drawn to Animal Kingdom because of the complete and total immersion 
that they've put into that park. Yes. Agreed. And that's exactly where I was going with that. It's That's the way I feel about it, too. It just feels like it kind of has that immersion. It feels like you're there. You're transported yeah. to somewhere in Asia or Africa or even that, you know, the, the southwest somewhere where you have the dinosaurs. It actually works for me. Um, so it, it's kind of a neat thing they've done. Yeah, absolutely. And, oh, it, I love, I, I unapologetically love Chester and Hester's, but I've always, I've always loved, like, cheap roadside attractions. I Tourist traps trap me so well. Um, you know, so that that part of the park, I, I, I do have this special place in my heart for for the fact that someone there obviously loved those cheap roadside attractions as well that would spring up next to some real attraction like right. the dinosaur, you know, findings. Right. Um, but, yeah, it, Animal Kingdom does so such a good job in fully immersing you from the moment you walk in that front into kind of that world, the natural world. And I'm really excited to see, you know, how well they keep that up with the Pandora um, concept. Everything looks like they're going to continue that. No, exactly. And, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the of the concept of Pandora, the movie. I didn't love the movie. I'm, you know, I'm kind of ambivalent about two two new movies coming out. But if anybody can do three, it right... I think. Oh, three, I think that's they're right. They're yeah. the next three films simultaneously. That's right. You know, but if anybody could do it right, it would be Disney. You know, if there's if there's going to be a, a right way to do it and, and treat it, Disney will do it. So you know, I'm, I'm excited. Done some immers, immersive type things, and they've got some Imagineering going on where there's some real thought process where they want to transport you to Pandora, and I'm cool exactly. with that. I mean, and that's that's part of it, right? Is is that they look to be taking that immersion seriously. Which is great, right? Because that is what Animal Kingdom excels at. Right. Um, is that full immersion, uh, that full attention to detail, and and that will be great, right? And that's you know getting back towards Epcot. Um, I felt I feel like Future World currently doesn't capture that. It's it's kind of a, a mishmash of a bunch of separate pavilions. You know that that some succeed more than others, um, but there's no cohesion to future world anymore. And you know, world showcase is still world showcase. You know, the cohesion there of, of kind of the world's fair and the visiting all the different countries and eating and drinking your way around the world. You know, would be very hard to take take away. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that kind of when you walked into future world, you know. In the 80s, uh, you know, you were fully immersed in this whole hopeful vision of the future, right? And and each pavilion played a small part in making that whole cohesion work. Um, and I feel like that's been lost. Yes. I feel, you know, the insertion of, of different things kind of piecemeal without really paying attention to the overall picture has has really handicapped what they've, you know, what they're, what they can do with that park. Yes, agreed. So I guess that begs the question, you know, what would you like to for a day, or you're playing CEO sure. for a day, what would you like to see Epcot become? What, what could you, what would you think it should become? So, I mean, it would be hard for me to, being such a fan of what it was, it would be hard for me to say that I would like to see it become something different than what it 
what it was at one point. Now, that doesn't mean that I want to see um, the old attractions come back. That, you know, as we've talked about, stagnation was a problem that they had, and that's kind of almost the opposite of what Epcot, at least Future World's portion of Epcot, um, should be. But I, I do feel like a return to that kind of overall inspirational, um, you know, kind of educational uh, topic would be fantastic. I, I, I would love to for, for my children to walk in and be in some way inspired to, you know, think and dream about these different uh, aspects like we, we were, you know, the seas and and you know, the future and transportation and all these kinds of things. Um, I would love to be able to kind of have my children be able to have the same um, feeling walking around there that, that I did when I was a kid. Yes. And that's a difficult task, right? I mean, there's, it, it's hard to... It, I, I think it would be hard to imagineer something trying to take current modern-day culture and kind of work that inspirational aspect. In some, in some respects, I, I'm, I'm afraid that, you know, we're almost a little bit more jaded than we, we were back in the early 80s. Um, you know, maybe that's just my grumpy old man coming out, but <laughs> I, I kind of feel that, that there's a little bit more... Uh, resistance to some of the the kind of scientific you know and inspirational things that that were there um but in some respects just because it's hard doesn't mean that, that it shouldn't be the goal you know disney has always prided itself on on attacking hard problems and finding ways to to make that happen and i think that it's important as well um you know, I definitely, I definitely uh, can kind of trace a line back to Epcot and and my path that took me kind of in the scientific realm for the rest of my life. I feel like I can trace that directly back to the time spent in Epcot and being inspired by all these things around. And you know, I, I feel like that needs to be done. Um, so it's, it's a hard thing to try to do. And I've done some, you know, kind of imagineering on ways to to reinvent the park. Um, but at the end of the day, um, what I would like to see and what Disney would like to see are probably slightly different things. You're probably right. <laughs> I'm with you there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, again, I'm not against the incorporation of characters or, or using some of their amazing amount of intellectual property, you know, as a part of, of what Epcot can become, as long as it's done with care. You know, I've, I've kind of tried to take the, the concept of, of Nemo, for example, um, the Seas with Nemo. You know, is there, is there a way to turn that attraction into kind of the original attraction feeling, that inspirational thing, but still use the Nemo characters. And, you know, I feel like there's a way to do that. I feel like um, it, 
then it wouldn't be that much of a change, you know? If instead of telling some watered-down version of the Finding Nemo story, if the characters from Finding Nemo are kind of taking us on a trip to Seabase Alpha, um, and they're introducing us to some of the life around us that we're seeing, um, you know, and teaching us a little bit and talking about, you know, the scientists working over at the sea base and things. Um, you know, I think that would probably serve the purpose, bring the sea base aspect back a little bit. Mm -hmm. But use the characters that we know and we understand and, you know, we have deep emotional connection to, to kind of help tell the story. That's perfectly fine with me. That's pretty, right? yeah. That would be ideal for for updating that civilian without having to basically say, okay, throw away everything and let's rebuild something completely new. Right, because that feels that would be too much. Um, I think you know, destroying the idea completely is probably not the right answer. Um, right, you know, and there, there has you know there was there was some sort of talk earlier in the year, and I I, I think it was I, I feel like it was relatively truthful at the time that they were going to just demolish the Universe of Energy Pavilion and put in some sort of Guardians of the Galaxy thing. Right, I remember hearing and, that. Yeah, you know, it was. It was one of those things that uh, I'm not 100% convinced that it's completely off the table, but I do think that a lot of the danger of that has passed um, based on, you know, I don't I don't know anybody that works at Disney or anything like that, but I am acquaintances with people that, that know things. And, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that that Guardians of the Galaxy thing is probably off the table yep. uh, at this point, but I'm not willing to hold my breath and, and wait for something magical either. Um, no, no. Yeah. You know, the whole idea of taking this this concept of, of energy, which is going to be one of the most important things in the next century, and getting rid of it for Guardians of the Galaxy, no matter how, um, how much they tried to integrate that into a story about energy, I think would have been too much of a stretch. That I think you're right. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I've I've looked at that and I've said, you know, Ellen's energy adventure, it's it's past its prime. It's you know that's something that, sure. you know, they could certainly replace with something else. But I sure. keep asking Absolutely. why did why did that last it so long? And yet the original universe of energy that was there didn't last that long. It just kind of doesn't make right. sense in a way. Um, no, it really kind of doesn't. I mean, and that's you, using kind of modern people right to. Um, tell that story almost dates that attraction more than what was there before. You know, the you can look at Ellen and say, wow, that's that's Ellen of a long time ago. Mm -hmm. um, you know, these days. And and that kind of can take you out of it a little bit, right? Um, right? I can understand, you know, the need to kind of take that long, um, you know, could be fairly dry at times attraction, the original universe of energy. I can understand them wanting to update it. And I think that out of all the attractions that they've updated over the years, they did probably the best job of trying to stay um, in tune with that attraction. You know, that one still does tell this, you know, the story and it sticks to the theme and it, you know, yes. it, it is funny and things like that. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that pavilion needs a whole lot of love. I think that... Um, honestly, I feel like 
as much as I love the dinosaurs, I think that it's probably, you know, almost would be best served if those would just go away. Right. Because it seems like every update that they've tried to do to that attraction has been, we need to build around the current ride system and the current trip through the, you know, prehistoric times. And they have to kind of, you know, slap a story on to make that piece of it work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I, that that pavilion is going to be, you know, it is one of the most important ones at the park, given, you know, the, the energy concerns that we have going forward. And, yes. and if we were to walk away from that instead of trying to kind of attack it, I feel like that's really going against what Epcot was built for yeah originally. so that's that's a terrific point and that's the one that's the one attraction that i think really deserves its place there and i hope that they continue to do something with it you know it doesn't have to be ellen's energy adventure it could be some other look at energy that's okay um sure you could look at the history of it and the future of energy and how we use it you know that you could educate and entertain absolutely absolutely you know i've you know again i've done some imaginary so mm-hmm. you know I've, I've thought about the fact that you know, I don't think that I don't think that there's one solution to the world's energy of the future. I think that there's many, and an attraction that just takes its time to explore all of the different ways that we probably are going to be harvesting energy over the years, and how they all play a small part to make a larger solution would make it a great, you know, beginnings of an attraction, right? Oh, absolutely, and, and yeah. I think. I think that that, if we lost that pavilion, we would lose, you know, so much of what Epcot was. Yeah, I agree with you. So, I'm, and that's the one thing going forward that, you know, if if they tr- if they say original vision and they want to hold true to that, you know, those the, the concepts of having these core pavilions with important topics that are explored, I think if we lost that, if it just became, you know, a series of attractions um, without that kind of pavilion on energy, pavilion on transportation theme, I think I think that would really lose something massive. I, I hope that that, in some respects, goes forward. It may not need to be the pavilions that currently exist, um, you know, but as long as we're kind of sticking to that general theme, I think we'd be in a better position going forward. Nope, I agree with you. And that that's those are some of the things that I think we need to consider. You know, just looking at the world today and understanding our world, <clears throat> the world has evolved a lot too. And, you know, you can you can throw politics into any of it or whatever. But, you know, there are sure. things happening in the world. We need energy. We need to be able to move. We need to be able to power all of these devices we have. Um you know, and you think about the, the world and the clients in the sense of the climate and whatever things are happening, whether we want to believe them or not, it's, you know, they just happen. And so we've got to, we've got to accept that and to educate around those is a good thing. Um, sure. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, I completely understand why Disney won't do it, but I, I really feel like trying to kind of, right. you know, sidestep some of the political concepts, you know, hinders them a little bit. Right. And, and, you know, in some respects, the, the idea of that space was, you know, exploring the scientific, you know, exploring science going forward into the future. And 
you know, the old facts are true if you believe them or not. Uh-huh. You know, if there's a fairly solid scientific consensus about something, I don't think it should be something that should be sidestepped. I think it should be kind of taken head on as an educational opportunity. I agree 100% with that. That's, you know, I think there's, Disney still has a great opportunity here to do something different that, that no one else is doing. Uh, you know, you don't see yeah. this, you don't see this out there. And you look at some of the things that they've done over the years. I mean, even, even Walt's attempt to, to build something that was um, in the, uh, uh, up in the DC area that would have been like, you know, the look at America, you know, mm-hmm. it would have been an interesting look at America that no one still is doing, you know, so you would have had a different right. view of the world. Um, so I think there's some tremendous opportunities for Disney here to, to do something really different that no one else is doing and make something really, really cool. Uh, and I hope that they do. I hope they take advantage of it in some way, even if they don't take advantage of it in the you know, most complete way. Exactly. Just like exactly. you see them. And, and, you know, like I said, use characters. I'm fine with that. You want it, you want it to be more Disney. Be, it, be more Disney. That's okay. But make sure you're doing it in a way that, that the characters are there enhancing... The, the story or the concept not being the story or the concept yes and it will be okay yes you know, as long as as long as that aspect is taken into consideration we're good like there's a reason that we all are such big disney fans and you know a lot of the emotional connections that we have to some of these characters that they've built over the years plays a big part in that and it should be used and leveraged i I definitely think that there's great opportunity there to take some of this, you know, intellectual property that they've had and use it in a way that that enhances the attraction instead of becomes the attraction. You know, Fantasyland is the perfect place to take a character and just tell that character story and be done with it. But other parts of the park, um, you know, have had that history of, you know, the, the, the... um, the safari at Animal Kingdom, you know, there was story to that. We're we're not just going on a ride to see animals. We're going on a you know a two week expedition and all this kind of stuff. You know, there's that story aspect of it. I feel is important and can be serviced well with the characters that we know and love. Um, it just has to be done with care. Yes. Yes. So that that's what I hope they do. I hope that they manage to do it with care and find some great way to kind of manage it and make it happen. Uh, I think there's some, they just have the, the world is, is such an opportunity for them. I mean, they've got so many great things they can do. You, I mean, like we talked about Pandora and Star Wars Land and Toy Story Land, and the, the imagination is certainly there. And Yeah, absolutely. And they've I got, mean, they're showing, they're showing that they still have, you know, the skills and the ability to make these places like nobody else mm-hmm. and and they have such a great opportunity here to to do Epcot and I mean and, and not even have to reinvent it you know they can yeah. do this small bits at a time if they wanted um, and and just kind of take a step back look at look at the attraction look at what are we trying to do with this and and you know, use that same care that they're putting in other areas. And if they do that, they'll be okay, in my opinion. If they do that, they'll be totally fine, and, and you know, I will be, my manifesto will be nothing but praise for, you know, their commitment to uh, reinvention. 
So I didn't ask you, and I meant to. Um, so how did you come about with the idea of the Epcot Manifesto? I think you've kind of weaved it into your story a little bit, but how did, yeah, that, how did mean, that come out? Excuse me. Um, so it's, it's kind of uh, a bit of an inside joke on an inside joke. I've, uh, over the years, um, I think my, my writing style, if I were to say I had one, which really I'm not a writer at, and you know, kind of been an engineer by trade almost. So writing is the opposite of what I've been doing. But I've I kind of like to think in some respects. Where if I've been thinking about a subject for a while, or I'm trying to capture an idea of something, I sit down and I'll open up Word or something like that, and I'll just write until all of the things come out of my head, and then I'll you know present it to people. So. It became a thing at work at some of my previous jobs, and it's actually made it into annual annual reviews. Is you know Scott needs to improve on um, you know kind of consolidating his points down and stop writing his manifestos. So you know I've I've had official work reviews that use the word manifesto in it. So you know obviously I've got something that I've cared about, and I've. I spent a lot of time complaining about things about Epcot and not a whole lot of time, you know, about, um, you know, thinking about solutions or what they could do. So when I sat down to start kind of going at that, I just pulled the, uh, the manifesto thing and, and started writing away at it and kind of use it as, a, as an angle to, to kind of take a thought, you know, whatever tickles my fancy and explore it in a way where I don't, you know, it kind of gives me the freedom to not try to have to be so, you know, editorially concise. Gotcha. That's clever. Hey, I like the idea because uh, I'm the same way. I'm an engineer by trade, so I, I feel you. <laughs> there are times that I, <laughs> that I tend to overanalyze and write, you know, just write complete thoughts. And it's like, what am I doing? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can, I, I can sit and write for... You know, spend an, a day or two writing about something that really what needs to happen is a few bullet points need to be put down, um, and that's it. It's just in order to get to those bullet points, I have to write out, you know, 13 pages of something and then try to go in and extract the points out of it. Right, right. That's funny. Hey, funny that so, you say that. I, yeah. just, I just rolled with it. No, nope, it's good. It's a good thing, and and the site is a lot of fun. If uh, I, you know, I'd like to recommend my readers go out and check it out. It's EpcotManifesto.com. It you know it gives a different view of the world. I mean, if you think about Epcot and sort of what you think about it, and you know, just kind of, it's a different viewpoint. And uh, well, you may share the viewpoint, but it's you know, he he takes it in a different way. Um, so that's that's really cool. Well, Scott, I'd like to thank you for taking some time to talk to me about Epcot. I think um, this is really interesting. You know, it kind of a lot of food for thought we have here and a lot of different things that we'll have to consider over time. I'm, I'm nervous, but I'm excited to start seeing some detail about what, they, what they're thinking about here because, um, you know, I, I, I love the place. I love that park. I want to, I want to love it again the way that I used to. And I understand the nostalgia plays a, a hefty role in what I, you know, what I think about when I think back to the park of my childhood. But I, I do think that the, the overall concepts, that core um, inspirational ability that, that it had um, was, you know, is an important part that needs to be there. Yes. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see what happens. 
Yeah, we'll have to um, we'll have to kind of wait and see a little bit, you know, just kind of wait with bated breath, as they say. Um, and, That's exactly uh, right. And, and when they when we'll they just sit there and write write long blog posts about you know what they should do until <laughs> they do it, and then I can spend my time dissecting what they say they're going to do. Right, exactly. And once they make some announcements about what they're actually going to do, I'll have to have you on again so we can talk about uh, what they're what they're That's planning. Fantastic. Excellent. Well, Scott, I appreciate you coming on the show to talk about uh, Epcot, and it's always fun to talk about uh, you know a passion of mine. Uh, Epcot is just one of those places I always loved. Um, yeah, from the yep. first from the first time I saw the model and heard about it in about seventy four or five when I was old enough to really figure it out, it was uh, one of those things that just kind of stuck with me. I'm like, this is so cool, can't wait to see it. And, exactly. Uh, exactly. That's uh, well, and now. Thank you so much. It's uh, been a whole lot of fun. I, I obviously enjoy talking about Epcot. So. I hadn't noticed, really. Oh, okay. That didn't come across <laughs> in any way. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you. And uh, remember, folks, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there... Please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 